So this is Keyshawn and uh, Arthur. Keyshawn, you just said something that uh, is worth repeating, that I have told people this before, and then you did it. So tell me about 7-Eleven. Oh, boy. Uh, I was at the the food store, and uh, I saw saw a very delightful-looking girl, and I I just remember Don Mata telling me, you know, the story about I like it, but I don't want it, you know, and seeing the potential danger in there. You really don't know what you're getting yourself into at the end of the day. And I've been there, and I've done that, and it's, you know, you really, (laughs) there really is a lot of danger to be had there. So I kind of, uh, you know, the, I made it another thing that I can be relieved to not have thoughts about during my meditation session. So the, those thoughts did start to come up as I left and didn't say anything. But, um, you know, I, I kind of was doing my best to, um, you know, not let the mind, not let the mind uh, put itself on a boil around that situation. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting like that, that if you notice, there will be certain scenes, certain objects that, let us say, catch the eye. That's a, a, a phrase that doesn't make sense in the Dhamma, but it certainly makes sense in um, conventional thinking. Because uh, an object can't catch the eye. The eye catches the object. <laughs> but in any case, uh, when something like that catches the eye, there is a sense of delight that arises. And it's immediate. It's almost like a thrill. We see that pretty girl and (gasps) kind of feeling happens. But it happens without us being fully aware of it. We're only kind of half aware of it. In the sense that when we see that girl and that feeling comes, we think, number one, that that girl caused that feeling. Where in fact, oh no, that feeling came completely with inside you. The next guy that walks in the door may not have that feeling about that girl. And the next girl that walks into the uh, 7-Eleven is probably most likely for sure not going to have that feeling. All right, so it wasn't the girl that caused the feeling, now was it? No, no, that feeling came from something else. And that by the time it comes into words, it comes into the words something like, I like that. But that original feeling is something that is fleeting, even though you may, in fact, gaze away or look at something else and then see her again uh, 10 seconds later and that feeling comes back again. Okay. That we see it and we like it. And that liking feeling is a feeling that has no language to it. So when I use the word I like it, that does nothing to describe that feeling. And if you, uh, if you start paying attention to it, you'll see that that feeling of delight comes probably more frequently than you thought. And that it can come in a wider variety of things rather than a, a pretty girl or parts of her anatomy. But uh, products on the internet or, or products that we see on YouTube or whatever like that, and we'll have... The, just a little bit of that sensation of exhilaration or or delight. But it's not nearly as strong as it is with that girl. The feeling of delight. But it doesn't last long. That feeling of delight goes away. It it immediately arises, and then it kind of tapers off. And uh, it's very good to start watching those feelings that you did get it, I like it, but I don't want it. That was a phrase that has become, uh, let's say, lingua franca in uh, modern Buddhist terms. It was something that happened with um, 
Achan Cha and Achan Semedo at a ceremony where all of these uh, young Thai uh, girls were all dolled up at this particular ceremony. Uh, happens once a year. And so Achan Cha asked Achan Semedo, what do you think? Because obviously the delight that Achan Semedo was feeling was obvious to Achan Cha, whether or not it was obvious to Achan Semedo or not. In fact, in that, in that time that it happened, he wasn't yet an Achan. This happened, gosh, so many years ago. <laughs> so uh, Achan uh, Cha asked Semedo about this. And Semedo says, you're right. You caught me. I do like it. <laughs> but I don't want it. And that's making that break or that distinction right at the point of contact when we feel that delight that it arises and recognizing that that's just a feeling. And that there's no reason for me to be making some life choices based upon an individual immediate sensation that I had. And yet I would say more than half the marriages whether they succeed or fail, more than half of the marriages get started like that because somebody has that initial <gasps> reaction to someone. Yeah. And then well, after the marriage, crazy. the thrill is gone. They can see her 10,000 times and that, feel, that feeling of thrill doesn't come back again. And yet somehow or another, we kind of promise ourselves that feeling that initial reaction is so delicious. We get the delusion that, or we give ourselves the story of, or we play a magic trick on ourselves to say, oh, every time that I can see that girl, I'll feel that way. Guess what? <laughs> Enough, you need a new one. <laughs> right, because it wasn't the girl who caused that feeling in the first place. It wasn't the girl who caused the feelings. But that knowledge is liberating. Why? Because it means that that feeling of delight actually does not depend upon that girl. But that feeling of delight is something that I did on the inside. Okay, and part of the delight has to do with another statement that is used, is, is that it takes the breath away. Doesn't do that at all. It almost never takes the breath away. In fact, it almost always is an in-breath. <gasps> And that we say that it takes the breath away because that's the feeling that then forces that in-breath. And all of this stuff happens within a second. And so I'm inviting you both to start watching for these instantaneous delights that come to you throughout the day and from time to time and notice your reaction to them. In other words, use that as a wake-up call. This is going to be put on the to-do list of those moments when things feel really delightful. Because that's a very dangerous moment. I mean, there have been more babies born because of that one little instant of delight than any other singular cause that I know of. It is, in fact, that what's driving the human race is that little feeling of delight that we want to re-imagine, re-invigor, get that, that sensation of, <gasps> and I have to express it by taking an in-breath. There's no words for it. If you've got words for this feeling, please let me know so that I can <laughs> put words to it and give it to the other students. But other than that, it's got no word to it other than descriptive. We don't even have a language for our feelings very well, but this feeling of <gasps> ah! <laughs> that we have from time to time, and Achan Sumedho 
had it with one of those girls at that ceremony. You had it at 7-Eleven. It happens a lot. Now, one of the things that happens, though, is, is the mistake. The big mistake is, is that she made me feel that way. Therefore, I want to feel that way again, and I start thinking about her. But now the mental image that I have of her is not the real girl at all. It's my internal created image. In the Pali language, this is the salayatana, the internal representation of something that it gave me a thrill when I saw it on the outside. Let me bring it on the inside and rehash it so that I could get that feeling of thrill again. But we're still making the basic mistake is that it was the girl who caused me to feel this way. Therefore, it's the memory of the girl that makes me feel this way when I remember her. But the real girl is something quite different than this girl that I've made up in my mind from an initial image that has a feeling of delight with it. And so you can, you can see, in fact, uh, uh, Kishan, how much happened with you in that one moment of that feeling of delight, liking it, and then rehashing the dangers in it <clears throat> and recognizing I like it, but I don't want it. Because now you're looking at the other side of it, the escape. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we have. Go ahead. It's funny because this is not like it's the first. Well, I've been on the first time it's happened, but since we had the conversation, it's not the first time that it happened. But I've been able to, to sort of, uh, I would say, take the other situations away a lot easier. But this one was like very. You know, very hard to kick, I would say, <laughs> in this situation. So that's why I brought it up. But yeah. Yes. Um, it's probably most likely true that the last time that I went into here in Thailand, 7 Eleven, see a cute girl in the 7 Eleven, and the thought that I have is, I remember just telling Keyshawn about this. <laughs> <laughs> that feeling of delight that comes that we don't recognize that was internally created and can be worked with and manipulated on the inside that we can begin to um, work with these feelings. That this, this feeling of delight that we look for, we have been told in our culture, can only come from the outside. You have to buy that car in order to, if you like, if you got that feeling of delight when you saw that magazine or you saw the car on the showroom floor, you think again that it was the car that gave you that delight, right? And uh, so that's what the designer was doing when he designed that car was he saying, what kind of curves can I put into this car that's going to give those guys the, the sense of delight so that they'll buy this haka junk? And so um, we can recognize that we were manipulated in advance for that. But never mind that I feel that feeling of delight because I know now that it is not that car that gave me that feeling of delight, but that it's certain shapes and sizes and things like that that come together that give that sense of delight, but it all comes from within inside the mind. And none of it comes from the car or from the girl or from anything else. That that sense of delight is manufactured on the inside and that when we were really, really little kids, we had that feeling a lot. That's why kids are going around screaming and yelling and running. And you should see the parade of kids through this, through the house here, every one of them carrying a cell phone. And they play games together, but they, they really enjoy doing it together because they have the feeling of delight there to where when they're playing with the cell phone by itself on their own, they don't get that feeling of delight the way that they do when all of the other kids are there screaming and yelling and, and having that delightful party of playing the same game, 
each one with their own cell phone, but it's the interactions that they have that make the delight for them. So one thing then to point out is, is that these kids create their delight and they know how to do it better than adults. Somehow or another, we have lost the ability to give ourselves that delight. And that we have mistakenly thought that it comes from some object on the outside. You know, actually, just today when I was uh, meditating earlier on, um, it was funny that you mentioned that because I, I really sort of had like a, I don't know you'd say like a flashback or like a distinct memory coming back to my childhood of like when I would sort of like approach like the entrance of the park and sort of that let loose feeling of like, I like go crazy in the park and like even the smell of like what the park smelled like just remembering that at those times um, and kind of using that. In yes, my this is what you, okay. So you're using it going into the park and getting that feeling of delight. Yeah. And you called it to let loose. Is that the word you used? Yeah. Yeah. Feeling of freedom, feeling of delight. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so our language, though, is um, limiting in the sense that we cannot easily transmit that feeling of delight from one to another. that we don't have the language for it, that we can describe it. I can feel delightful and talk about delightful, but it's hard to get the students to allow themselves into that feeling of delight. Maybe if I put on a wig and some lipstick and no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> not going to create that. <laughs> so, this feeling of delight is something that we long for, we look for, we search for without recognizing that, hey, we can have that anytime we want to. Then, in fact, we can remember what it is for delightful. Then, in fact, there's been moments, momentary delightfulness that you've had in the past three to five minutes. And so you can bring up that delight for yourself. And this is part of the practice of uh, gladdening or delighting the mind to have the kind of thoughts uh, that give us a kind of thrill. And so you use the example of walking into the park and the thrill that the kid gets, you know, as their, uh, the bus door opens and all the kids run out into the park and everybody's yelling, and they all have that feeling. I know that's a really good one. Yeah. You talk about getting into the fight and we get to play. Okay, so we can look at meditation like that. Is when we're sitting down to meditation, we can say, "Finally, I get to play." I get that yeah. sense of feeling of of delight. This is the feeling also uh, that delightful feeling is is supposed to be associated with uh, the Pali word pity. Okay, that everything goes ah. <gasps> And this takes a bit of practice, but it is actually quite possible for you to do it. You could do this. And uh, by being able to do it and know that you can do it, that gives, um, let us say, the permission to feel really good a lot more of the time. That we have, in fact, been trained into being critical, into critical thinking. Now, the critical thinking is basically, I like this, I don't like that, this is good, this is bad, this is up, this is down, back and forth like that. This is exactly the entire teachings of the story of Adam and Eve. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa read that in the Bible and without any uh, Christian input or any influence at all from any modern religious, just reading that story and he gets it. Because the story of Adam and Eve is not about the aspects of the story like talking snakes and was it an apple and the girl bit it first and she talked the guy into doing it and they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. These are not any of the issues 
that need to be looked at, but rather, what do they mean by the fruit? They ate of the fruit of the knowledge, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means that, in this case, the word fruit means the result. What is the result? The result of our actions, and our actions in this case is the critical mind of thinking this is good and this is bad. And when we have that idea, this is good and this is bad, that we then apply to our environment that is by, in and of itself, a natural paradise. I live in a paradise here until I become critical of it. And then it's not a paradise anymore. Garden of Eden is a Garden of Eden, but it was only a paradise so long as Adam and Eve were not critical of the place. But once they become critical, once they become judgmental, once they say this is good and this is bad, this is good, this is evil, right and wrong, that is the critical mind, and it poisons everything. So the fruit is going to be poisoned fruit. And one of the things that it poisons is our paradise. You're already naturally in paradise. But we have been trained in this critical mindset. And we need to change that mindset into the nurturing mindset. And when we change it to that nurturing mindset, that almost gives us permission then to go into a state of delight so that we can be delighted and have the feelings of delight. Because we are taken care of. Everything is good. And we do it, with, in this case, with also the feeling of being a winner. Um, <clears throat> going into the park had to kind of the feeling of delight as if some magnificent gift was given to you. And that magnificent gift was given to you not because of something that you've done in the past, but because you were already okay. You're a kid going into the park, right? That's all it took. And yet with the critical mind, we've got some sort of adult standing at the gate of the the park saying, are you okay or not? Did you brush your teeth? You know, the whole nine yards, critical critical and so now when the kid gets in if he does get in having to go through this critical period now he's lost the delight now the park is no longer a paradise now he's had to do something to get in rather than it was a natural freely given gift and that's the dhamma the dhamma is a natural freely given gift and when you get it We become delighted with it. And so this feeling of delight is a a natural outcome of the practice of Anapanasati. And that we need to watch throughout the day when we do have those feelings of delight. An example of that feeling of delight is as the food is delivered, before you ever take the first taste of it, and you see it, and you know that you like this food, and you have that feeling of delight. And maybe you take that first spoonful or that first bite of it, and you have that feeling of delight of how good this food is. But that feeling is gone by the end of the meal. And we don't regain that feeling of delight. It, it goes away, okay. So, but I'm, I'm pointing out that we do have that sensation of that feeling of delight often throughout the day. The Buddha, or excuse me, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa would actually refer to this as a little Nibbana moment, a little Nibbana moment where we just relax or we just take delight in something and we lose ourselves in it. And so, Start waking up to these. Start noticing them throughout the day. Recognize for yourself, oh, yeah, this is good. And then you can start incorporating those throughout um, uh, from the things that happen throughout the day. You can incorporate those into your uh, actual Anapanasati practice. You can reflect, oh, 
15 minutes ago, I was really delighted when I saw that thingy bob. And so I can think about that thingy bob again and recreate that feeling of delight. And then you can say, hey, I can't do that feeling of delight. Now you can create a feeling of delight based upon the, the knowledge that you can create delight for yourself. Okay, so this is the way that we practice Anapanasati. Is, is that we're looking for that sensation or the feeling of delight, the very thing that, that happens by happenstance. When all the conditions are correct in the real world, and we then make the mistake that, oh, it was because of the conditions, it was because of that girl or whatever like that, where in fact, no, the conditions were right in here. And so we can recreate those right conditions to bring all of those factors together so that we can recreate that sense of delight. So, so it's okay to use, to go into the memory, to pull up delightful things. Let us it say is. whatever it takes to gladden the mind, including old gladdened incidences, which are a whole lot more superior to have as a thought in the mind, rather than a thought of a tragedy. Okay. okay, so don't dwell long enough for that uh, delight to turn into a tragedy. The delight of seeing the girl immediately followed by her rejection, but rather stay with just the feeling of delight. Yeah, that's funny because when I told the story about how I was meditating earlier and I thought about the park, um, obviously like, it's my, my mom bringing me there and then it went into like thoughts about like recent family things so then that delight went away pretty quickly and i was like i gotta get off the path <laughs> can't stay here for too long that's kind of how i felt about it but i guess if you stay on the on the delightful part of things then it's better yes so now we're pointing at something a little bit better than um what in Buddhism we call it, often use the word acceptance, to be able to accept things, right? And they're mostly talking about accepting the bad. Well, let's look at the various layers of that. And I'll start off at the bottom layer would be absolute hot warfare, either personally or in a country or whatever, but hot war. That's not acceptance, okay? That's an argument, that's a fight, that's a, uh, uh, a divorce. And then the next step above that would be Cold War. And Cold War means, well, I'll tolerate him up to a point, and then we're in the hot war again. And then we grow above that Cold War into actual tolerance, which is what Christians teach and what is normally accepted uh, as acceptable in our society is to tolerate. You may not like him, but you don't, that does not give you permission to kill him. You, but it's okay for you to not like him. You just can't do anything about it. It's okay for you to have a hot war about him on the inside of your mind you just can't go punch him in the nose. This is what we mean by toleration. And then one step above that is going to be acceptance. And the acceptance means that, okay, I accept that I can't bust him in the nose. But I can enjoy thinking about it. Okay, so the, the idea of acceptance then is still only a kind of toleration that we're putting up with something and it's difficult to put up with. In fact, that's the definition of dukkha. So even in the level of acceptance, it's still dukkha. But then we go up to the level that the Buddha is talking about and talks about often, and that is the level of friendship. To learn to make friends with those feelings inside of us, to become friends, to become unified as a whole human means that we're friendly with all the various aspects of us ourselves, the very part of us that we used to criticize. Now we're making friends 
We can become friends with ourselves on the inside. We can become friends with the whole world on the outside also. And this is a major teachings of the Buddha, is this friendship. Now, this friendship actually, there's, a, there's many suttas where this is mentioned, including the quality of metta and all of that. But in this one sutta, the name of it, by the way, is the half sutta. That gives it away, the half sutta. And uh, Ananda went to the, uh, his teacher, Sariputta, and Sariputta told him that friendship is half the Dhamma. And so Ananda, being confused, went to the Buddha, and the Buddha says, oh no, friendship is not half the Dhamma, it's the whole show. Everything about the practice of the Dhamma is about friendship, inside and outside. To learn to have friendly thoughts to yourself and stop having critical thoughts of yourself. To begin to have um, happy, friendly thoughts for your practice and for the world. So that we can actually gain enough joy on the inside so that we can share our joy on the outside. But now this state of delight that we're talking about is kind of one step even above friendship. And that the word that I would uh, give, I'll give you the Latin phrase is called amor fate. Now the word amor, uh, is, I know it's in Italian I'm, and Latin also, but you may be more familiar with uh, it in uh, Italian, is amore. When the moon meets your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. Have you ever heard that song? So we use that word, that, that word amore means to be delighted with or in love with. Or it's in, in Portuguese fact, also. Pardon? It's in Portuguese also. Amor. In what? Portuguese. Portuguese, yes. Yes, yes. It's love. Mm-hmm. So, amore or amor fati, the word fati is actually the word fate. And we're not talking about predestination or uh, following along with your bad habits. Like he who lives by the sword, dies by the sword, is considered one's fate. But actually, what we mean by fate is just whatever's happening. This is happening. If it happens... It's your fate. I mean, it was just, uh, but it wasn't caused by a god or a personality. It was caused by a sequence of events or cause and effects. It, everything happens with a cause. All right. And so the fate, whatever it is that happens with its causes, we are delighted with. We become delighted with are in love with whatever's happening. So this is a way of practicing the Dhamma, to become delighted with everything. Not just acceptance, but joyfully accepting. Yeah, I like that too. Wow, what a nice one that is. And develop that feeling of delight. To become delighted with everything. And then you'll have that feeling of delight Quite often. So if you could just, so is the practice then to just recall, just recall the feeling of delight, like sort of bring it up whenever you can, essentially? Mm-hmm. Yes. Whatever you I remember power. one of the feelings of delight that I have from a child was there was a, um, a local, uh, store. It was in a neighborhood, but they allowed it. And all this lady had was ice cream that she made in her home. And that this lady had a particular lime ice cream that I liked when I was four or five years old. And I can remember going to that store over and over again and getting that lime ice cream. And it was really delightful. But now, instead of thinking about the ice cream and the lime, it's to remember the delightful feeling that I had in getting that ice cream. And that's what we're going to work with, is that feeling of delight. For you, it's the feeling of going into the, uh, the playground. 
Okay, so every one of us can, can remember a time when we were kids that we were completely delighted. We spent a whole lot of time in delight. We just don't remember it. But we can remember those delightful times, and we can bring that up. And we can say, hot diggity dog, I really did like that lime ice cream. I know, I remember I liked it because I remember that liking. I remember that feeling of delight. And therefore, I can work with that because I've got it now. Okay, this is wholesome. Brings us in, into the state of sukha. Brings us into the state of pity. Brings us out of the hindrances, out of the negative thoughts, out of the critical thoughts, into a state of nurturing. So we nurture ourselves with this feeling of delight. We tell ourselves, everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. And we add the breath to that. Okay, so this is actually the way that we practice. And as we continue to practice this way, we get better at it. This is skills to be developed. Even getting being delightful is uh, a skill. Or as I used to say a long time ago, happiness is a skill to be developed. Joy is a skill to be developed. And this is exactly the way to do it, is to remember that you have had joy in your past. Why not have some now? Why think about that email I've got to write that lawyer? Or why think about that payment I've got to make? Or why think about going to the bank? And yet think about all of those things that we think about. One of the uh, reasons why people like to play puzzles, for instance, Sudoku. Do you know what I mean by Sudoku? The people, while they're playing Sudoku, they're actually using their mind and engaged in Sudoku, and it goes into an altered state because now we're looking for, for visual patterns. Or we're doing counting, like is all the numbers here. Like there's one missing. There's out of that nine, we've got a one, two, three, five, seven, eight, nine. That's the one that goes in there. And so... That's the one, and it's a different kind of thinking, but most importantly, the people are not thinking about their problems. If they set that cell phone down or set that Sudoku book down, guess what? The old mind comes back into the old critical thinking about all the job they got to do and everything like that. But if the student can, can play a game of Sudoku and empty his mind of the hindrances, in fact, we get a, a great feeling of delight when we figure that game out. Especially if we can, you know, be number one. My easy games used to be at uh, three minutes. Now I've got one down to two minutes and nine seconds. You know, that kind of feeling. <gasps> yeah, can do this. Because it's actually that delightful feeling is associated with the feelings of success. And so we want to play another game because we want that feeling of success. If I put that, uh, uh, the cell phone down or put down this Sudoku book, then what have I got? I've got all of my problems and my worries to come back again. So that's what, but we um, they say, well, instead of trying to use Sudoku as a distraction to keep me my, my mind off of my worries, why don't I develop the skill? The very skills that I use for Sudoku, I can use now, except that instead of plugging numbers in, I can plug feelings in. Yeah. I can investigate the moment. I can really enjoy what's happening now. And so this is a way of uh, uh, looking at we don't have to have a mind full of worries all the time. And most people will look for distractions of entertainment or game playing or whatever like that to get our minds off the fact that we're bored shitless. Bad day yesterday and a bad day tomorrow and we probably will have a bad day next week. Let yeah. me get my mind off of my worries. Yes. The answer is, yeah, let's do that. Let's really get our mind off of our worries. Let's learn how to figure out how to keep the mind in a good state.
because I can, in fact, worry myself to death. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm thinking about like today, I'm really like, being in my kitchen and just kind of uh, like walk around the apartment, just kind of um, in a state where I would say, that's why I mentioned in the beginning, like the thrill is gone. I was wondering, is it because I didn't meditate so much on Sunday because I was doing some other activities? what was happening, but I, 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 you know, maybe like just the day before that I had a lot more delight, a lot more delight going on. And I was like, where's, where's my delight? How <laughs> would happen? The answer is, let me fun. sit here and regenerate it. Let's not worry about what happened that I don't have the delight. That's in the past. Let's go get some delight right now. Yeah. Let's go have some delight. Let's have some, some joy. Let's have some, um, nurturing and i'll tell you why you didn't have it i know already and that was because you were worried about something if you stop the worries you'd be happy stop yeah. all those critical thoughts and just say everything's okay everything's fine everything's wonderful no place to go and nothing to do you've heard all of that zen stuff before yeah you're already enlightened. Why are you striving? <laughs> Sit and enjoy being enlightened. Here you are. Yeah. And yet the the mind that is um, in the habit of being uh, critical tries to come back in and say, oh, well, you're not doing this and that right. And you're being critical of your own practice rather than saying, hey, I don't care whether I was <clears throat> uh, critical and unhappy and didn't have any delight before. Right now I can have it. Right now I can do it. I remember. I remember. <laughs> wakey, wakey. <laughs> yeah. And we can take a deep breath and come right out of those miseries and out of those worries and have a nice moment. And then we want to start being on guard to make sure that we keep that nice moment rather than letting the hindrances come back. So what we're talking about today, even though we use the quality of the delightful moment of that uh, seeing something delightful, we're actually going back and talking about the same old practice. There's just, you know, Anapanasati got only a few steps. I know it sounds like a handful in the beginning, but really it's not a hard practice to do. We just have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it because we've gotten ourselves in such a bad habit of being critical. Yeah. And eventually you keep practicing like that and, and you'll tip the scale and then you'll spend more time or your default position will be in delight rather than in critical mind. So that's what we're looking is for a new default position. Yeah. The default position is, hey, this is so nice. <laughs> I'm a, I, I picked up a, a new toy today, sort of. <laughs> it's this, uh, this is the toothpaste cap. I just saw it sitting in my my uh, kitchen or my uh, bath in the sink and it wasn't being utilized so I, I said I'm just going to carry this around a little bit and see if it can help me remember Sati and just like you know holding on to that but I think you remember you told me like you know hold like some keys or something like that to help you remember a little bit you know it's a little helpful Well, Arthur, you have been kind of quiet in this call. Do yes, you have I, I want to add to it. Yes, of course. I, w I was trying to like uh, first to see the very pers perspective of what it's like to like pay attention in a third person uh, way, because uh, it's the first call I partake that uh, we split the conversation. And it's actually uh, a different way of hearing the same thing if you hear it in a, 
non-implicated way of listening. So while you guys were talking, I was like uh, trying to pick up uh, new perspectives about Anapanasati uh, in general. And that I would not uh, have picked it uh, if it was a uh, direct conversation. Uh, but a few doubts uh, have arisen at the same time uh, while I was listening. Because uh, if I, I try to think, um, for instance, in a, a delightful memory, it's uh, preferable, I think, that it's not a memory of like uh, sensual desire, right? It should be something like uh, more directed to the kind of memory uh, Kishan brought like uh, of the I, park. I agree completely, okay? That's an important point. But if you think about even the words that you used, mm -hmm. that gives a clue. You use the word desire. Yes. Okay, desire is the longing or the clinging after the feeling. So we mm. have to actually back up okay, to the essence. in time from the desire into the actual initial feeling. Just when that just when it contacts us. Yes. Because because once it's sensual desire, the desire means I want it. As opposed to, look at the, the momentary, the instantaneous feeling that I got that mm. gave rise to that desire. Yes. Okay. So, uh, pay close attention to it mm. because it's, it's very fleeting and it, and, and it uh, ignorantly grows into desire very quickly. Yes. And at the same time, I think that, uh, let's say uh, I'm doing my practice, I have a good developed feeling of sukha and uh, feelings of joy and metta arising uh, all over me. At the same time, uh, I get these feelings and I get more absorbed into them. Um, that that kind of uh, uh, thinking never arises within uh, the practice itself. It only arises when I'm out of it. But I think, uh, how should I go about, like the? How should I gain wisdom if I am trying to absorb myself? Like uh, how generating uh, more joy although it's a very good thing, we will generate uh, a direct perception uh, in things like uh, anatta or uh, impermanence or dukkha itself. Well, you can talk about those aspects and other aspects of the Buddha's teaching uh, and there's different ways of doing it. One would be with confusion, or the other one would be with the sense of, I've got it. Anatta, yeah, I got it. I got yes. it. I know what yes. that means. Right. Dukkha, yeah, dukkha, dukkha everywhere. I see that stuff now. Okay. That's the way of looking at it is rather than dukkha, 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 or I don't know what it means, you know, so we can add confusion, but what we're going to add instead is the delight in the knowledge that this stuff is really valuable. This is really wholesome stuff. And yes. so thinking about the Dhamma that way is actually quite wholesome. Mm -hmm. But that at the, the same time... The actually is wholesome. And yes. so thinking, thinking about it, and doing it with the intention that you're going to really enjoy uh, your sitting in meditation. That yes. I really like this third noble truth. Let me look at the third noble truth again. Yes. You had another question? Are you about to say something? Go ahead. No, yes. Uh, it's because it's kind of tricky, right? Uh, I mean, we are, we're talking about like uh, different degrees of uh, perception about uh, uh, 
a specific feeling. So we have to be very fast to like uh, catch various degrees of uh, delight. So when we see like a pretty girl, it's uh, up there. It's very easy to spot. But uh, if it's something very minimal, we have to pay uh, very close attention to it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, I think it's very easy to identify Duca by like uh, uh, crocodile jumped up my, my arm. It, that's uh, <laughs> a very uh, blatant kind of Duca. But uh, I think there is an underlying type of Duca that it's very subliminal and very minimal. I have like uh, the difficulty in spotting or for instance uh, to observe the absence of self it's also something so subtle that you cannot like simply spot it that's my okay well in fact you can then take delight in ah there is no selfishness now I don't want anything but in fact, you can think of selfishness or sensual desire as a self that wants something. Yes. And if you don't want anything, then there's no self here. There is and no you self. Take yes. great delight yes. in, oh yes. wow, I'm so pleased. I don't. There's no self here because I don't want anything. Yes. Isn't that I, nice? I, I see it now. So you don't find it as an object. You find it as a result of a process, like the lack of, and not the presence of. That makes more more sense. Yes, look for the absence of the dukkha. Hey, there's, there's no dukkha here now. You see? It's like the cathedral. Right? A lot of people have the idea that dukkha is really high and that as we practice over the years, it comes down and comes down, and there's but there's always dukkha below this, and eventually we get down to the point to where there's no dukkha down way at the bottom. But that's not how it is at all. How it is is much more like a, a, um, a wave that you see an auditory wave like on an on oscilloscope, you know, and it goes like this. Yes. Sometimes there's a real big peak, sometimes there's a real valley, and sometimes it's very quiet and there's nothing much happening, okay? So this is more the reality of it, that there are going yes. to be lots of times when you have no duke at all. You need to start recognizing those, to start recognizing when there's not Dukkha. When in fact you're right now, things are good. There's no dukkha here at all. I see. Is is that the emptiness? Is that what that is? When there's no. Ultimately, everything is empty. Ultimately, everything is empty. We can go with empty, and the first quality is empty of self. In the sense of sabe. Sankara Anicca, Sabe Sankara Anatta, Sabe Dhamma Anatta, Sabe Sankara Dukkha, Sabe Sankara Anatta, uh, uh, Anicca, but Sabe Dhamma Anatta. What does that mean? That means that there, in the context of the Buddhist teaching, there is no self anywhere. Not in all of the Dhamma. There is no great God or Lord of the universe. There's just merely cause and effect as the most primal of the natural laws. Cause and effect. And one of the causes or one of the ways of looking at that is is that a fire must have a fuel. There are no fires without any fuels. Okay? So if we can go to the point that Sabe Dhamma Anatta, there is no self anywhere. If there's no self anywhere, then there's no self to define what is right and what is wrong. There is no self to define what is good or bad and therefore meaning. So people say, well, I've lost the meaning of life or life has no meaning. Well, yeah, life doesn't have any meaning other than to keep itself going. And guess what? That happens to every institution, every government, every NGO, every business. Whatever it was that got started, eventually its only goal is self-preservation. And a good example of that is the Red Cross. The Red Cross used to be really good at donating blood. Now they're really good at getting donations. 
and about 85% of their donations go to their operating expenses. Now, that's an example, but that happens with everything. Every organization, the whole idea is once it gets going, it's got to preserve itself. So getting it going is the nurturing phase, and then keeping it going is the critical phase. And each one of us moved out of the getting it going into keeping it going. We're in critical thinking now, and that we have lost the joy for life. And we're afraid to die instead of enjoying living. Isn't that amazing? We all cling so solidly to life, and yet we don't enjoy it. But we sure will miss it if it's gone, and we know that it's gone. And so we cling to its existence, but we don't even allow ourselves to enjoy it while we've got it. Why do we do that? I don't know, but self-preservation is a mighty powerful instinct. Mighty uh, powerful instinct to just I'm, instinctually try to preserve. We do that with a lot of things. Like you, you miss things. Like you, you take things for granted when you have them, and then when you lose them, you like you really miss it. Like, you know. Mm -hmm. You'll miss me when I'm gone. <laughs> You know and everything says that. My mouse says that. The laptop says that. Even the door says that. I'll miss you'll miss me when I'm gone. We get attached to our things, and so we miss them when they're gone. So therefore, that's the whole idea. Then is is that even me is going to be gone sometime? Therefore, I should try to preserve it. Well, guess what? That me that you're trying to preserve just left. <laughs> There's a new one now. Let's enjoy the new one rather than trying to keep the old one alive. So this is the important quality of the teaching of the Buddha, Abhinata, means that not only is the world and everything in it free of self, but anything and everything in that world is also free of any meaning or any purpose other than trying to preserve the existence of it. And when we try to preserve the existence of something, we destroy its value. Because things keep changing, dying, living, dying, living, dying, living, dying. It's a big cycle. And when we fall in love with that cycle, we can become delighted with that cycle rather than trying to stop that cycle so that I can keep one portion of it that I liked more. Yeah, so that's a way to uh, do the uh, a direct practice of the Anita, right? Where you could say, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm this way now or this feeling has arise. I, lo I love that too. And then, you know, that's Anita and I love Anita. Everything's, everything's changing. Yes, and you become delighted then in the cycling of events. That's when Amor Fati, whatever fate comes, whatever happens, what, whatever happens next, hey, I like that too. Yeah. But most wow. of us are in that critical mind and we say, well, I like that part of the cycle, but I don't like the uphill. I like the downhill, but I don't like the uphill. Let's stop the cycle. Well, if you stop the cycle, if you stop the uphill climb, you're going to not be able to do a downhill journey anymore. You can't yeah. you can't coast downhill if you don't climb the hill. <laughs> That's to be my new practice, man. I'm more body. <laughs> I like it. Mm -hmm. But when we fall in love with the whole cycle, then we're in a state of delight, knowing yeah. that things are going to change. They're going to live and die and live and die, and ain't that nice? Well, Arthur, we're going to finish this now. Do you have Thank any you. last words? <laughs> no, I'm all right. You're okay. Yeah. All I'm right, okay. Keyshawn, do you have anything to add? I'm more potty. Okay. Sati, Sati, Sati. Remember, remember. We'll see you guys later. See you. Hold my time. It was a pleasure, man. Bye nice bye. to meet you, Arthur. Nice to meet you.
Okay, bye-bye. You guys bye. be friends. Okay. <laughs>